Holy Father, we thank you for, I thank you specifically for this group of people that week after week I see the same faces who are hungry, Father, uh, for your word and, and long uh, to get a message from you. And I pray that we get a message today from this text that we can take home and use in our lives, Father. Uh, bring us closer to uh, understanding of your servant David and why you would make him and his family king uh, forever. King Jesus came from that language, Father. We thank you for this day and just pray your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name, um, Yeah, I... I, uh, I traditionally, I, I, I studied pretty much... Uh, early in the week for this class and then I let it ruminate and let it and so I, I think about it a lot what what is um, in these chapters what what I'm gonna say Johnny it's 136 John's father John's father was an elder at our and, and you would always everybody would it was a running joke you would always call out Brother John, how many people are here? And he would give you a number, and it was nowhere. <laughs> so John uh, t has taken on the counting ministry, which is our most uh, financially um, sustainable uh, ministry that we have. It's just John. <laughs> and occasionally he'll bring a pencil and paper, but Janet, he gets that from Janet. So. <clears throat> We're in the Samuel... 1 Samuel 13 and 14 today. Here's another thing I pray that you think about during the week. Um, uh, Dr. Benny, Jeff and Jane Benny are in Malawi and have been in Malawi for, for a week, uh, well over a week doing surgeries. The medical mission there that Jeff is on the board and that's just a good thing to keep in our prayers. To keep, uh, But he promises that uh, that he will be at next Sunday, so we're going to prepare for that, and uh, that's how we're going to do it. Next Sunday is chapter, we'll start in chapter 15, and he can go wherever he wants to, but today, we literally, <clears throat> are, Samuel is fading away. Samuel's getting old, and he's passing the baton, and uh, next week he will literally pass the baton, and David will come on to the scene. And occasionally we'll see Samuel after that. Samuel doesn't die next week, but occasionally. So, but if you're literarily looking at these chapters, that, that's what's happening. Samuel's going away, and now we're coming, quickly coming upon David. You know, I was thinking about this last night, too. We get um, confused a lot of times, and I'm not sure I've ever known this. This study has brought out a lot of things that were misconceptions that I've had uh, growing up in, in the church all my life. Who is more important, prophets, priests, or kings? In the cosmic scheme of reality, there, there were judges, there were prophets, there were priests, there were kings. Who is more important? Who has the greatest power? The prophets. The kings, he's just a king. But the prophet speaks the words of God. 
is in communication with God. A judge was a military ruler. So when you when Abraham is in the Valley of the Kings and he he gets the 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 king of Shalom to come and meet with him, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, literally Zedekiah, Melchizedek, righteousness. When he comes and meet with, meets with him, he's both prophet, priest, and king. He's a heavy dude. And who does he worship? Who does he worship? I'm sorry? God Most High. God Most High. El Elyon. Not Yahweh. Yahweh is Jewish. That's the Jewish name for God. Melchizedek is El Elyon. So is Balaam's donkey. Balaam was not a priest of Yahweh. He was a priest of who? El Elyon. God Most High. Um, Jethro Tull. Moses' father-in-law. <laughs> who is who is he a priest of? El Elyon, God Most High. When Luke writes his gospel, Luke is the Gentile, the Goyim, the Goyim writer. When he writes his gospel, he does God Most High, not Yahweh. He mentions Yahweh three times, but all the other times he mentions. Is El Elyon, God Most High. Which God do we serve? Yahweh? El Elyon, God Most High. I thought they were in the They are. <laughs> but if you're, but they are. But if you're a Jew and you say, "Who do you worship?" They'll say Yahweh. And if you're going, so you're El Elyon. It is interchangeable. It's just a semantic. Deal, but it's interesting if you follow the priests that were not Yahweh priests. They're El Elyon priests, God Most High. It's interesting that part of our New Testament is written specifying. What book do you go read to learn that? I haven't found it. <laughs> I haven't found it. It's just an anomaly in the text that I can't get out of my mind. So, oh. <clears throat> You've never had you've never had lunch with Brother Charlie Brandon <laughs> because Brother Charlie Brandon used to take people to lunch all the time, and all you would talk about is Melchizedek because he felt like that was a key to everything. It is a key to everything. I think Melchizedek. You know what a theophany is? God. It's an appearance of God in the form of someone else. I think Melchizedek was a theophany. But that's, I could be talked out of that easily. Uh, but I think that was the picture of the pre incarnate Christ. What did they do? They celebrated what? Eucharist. He brought out bread, he brought out wine, and they celebrated Eucharist. Melchizedek was a big deal. And that's, that comes, well, it actually happened earlier. Uh, we'll, we'll mention that when we get to Jerusalem. So, the text here, and, uh, <clears throat> I hope you open to this because I want to see how many texts we can get with different things. 
Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he raised, reigned over Israel for 42 years. Does anybody have anything different than that? Because the Latin Vulgate, and I believe the Septuagint, do you have Old Testament Septuagint? Not with me. Okay. I believe the Septuagint uh, both state that Saul was 30, or that he was 42 years old, and he became king and was king for 42 years. And also, when we get down to the number of chariots, all those numbers are mixed up, and it's all because of Jewish gematria. And the texts differ, and we've given, uh, the people who interpret the text have given us the best rendering. So I'm not going to tell you exactly, but it would stand to reason that you don't become a priest until the age of 30. You served as a priest from the age of 30 to 50, and that's it. You were done. Um, which, should there be time limits on elders? I don't know. You only served as a priest at 30 to 30. Okay. Um, Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 of them were, were with him in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. Bethel is five miles out of Jerusalem. Uh, and a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the men were sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked a Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land that should reach Shofar. Had the Shofar blown throughout the land, just a ram's horn. Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistines. Out, the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul once again at Gilgal, which is five miles out of Jericho, down by the Dead Sea. Everybody was supposed to come. The Philistines assembled to fight, the, fight Israel with 3,000 chariots. Um, the Septuagint and the Syriac versions say 30,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers, they say 60,000 men, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Haven, we don't know where any of those places are, and the men of Israel saw their situation, it was critical, and that their army was hard-pressed. I don't know Hebrew, but the word for hard-pressed, and it will, come, it, it will come out later in the text, that we need to know this word. It's niggas, N-I-G-G-A-S, niggas, hard-pressed. So because Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost, it's started a war. And Saul has called all the men, all the people of Israel together, 300,000 of them show up. And they're at Gilgal, and the Philistines are gathered at, Miz, at uh, is it not Miz, is it Miz, yeah, Miz, Miz, Big Mash can't find any of that on that. I've looked all week. Um, but suffice it to say, it's just right around this whole, this same area where we're talking about. Down by the Dead Sea where there are a lot of caves and there are a lot of holes in the ground and there are a lot of places to run and hide. <clears throat> Let's see. Look, look at uh, verse 6. When the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and that their army was niggas, hard-pressed, they hid in the caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns 
Some Hebrews even crossed across the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul remained at Gilgal while all of his troops were with him, waking in fear. Now, why were they quaking in fear? What do we know about Israel at this time? There are two million people come out of Egypt. And they're all, they've all taken their specific areas and they're trying to capture their areas that they've been assigned. What kind of army do they have? How do they win all these battles? Anybody? I'm sorry? God fought their battles for them as they stopped at Jericho. How the walls of Jericho come, come down? Joshua prayed, and the priests prayed, and God answered, and He tore the walls down. That's how they won their battles. Not by military might. There were no chariots. Let, let's keep, well, <clears throat> to tell the whole story, let, let's, keep, let's keep reading just a little bit. Um, he waited seven days the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come. And Saul's men began to scatter. And, and Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? I've spent my whole life thinking. That's pretty much it ticky-tack deal he got him. God got him on. I don't think that's all that bad. Do you think that's all that bad? You see, he watched Samuel. Remember the last time when we were down by Ebenezer when they gathered all, and the Philistine army was all around them and they were scared to death. What are we going to do? What did they tell Samuel? Please keep praying. Please keep praying that God will do something because of these people, it's a vast army. And they're armed. Here's one thing, I don't even know where it's in this text. But do you know how many swords are in all of Israel at this time? Maybe two. Two. <laughs> two. Saul and Jonathan had swords. That's it. And I don't know how they got them, but they had swords. Nobody else. We had sticks and rocks and hammers and we fought but we didn't have anything. So at uh, at uh, where 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 Samuel was, he prayed, and God caused it to do what? He caused a great uh, thunder. So much that the Philistines were scared to death. And Israel went in and took the Philistines and routed them. Here's what I don't get. So he routed the Philistines there. Well, we come back and we're less than a few years later. And now here the Philistines are. Can't we just get rid of the Philistines? And then you're going to see later, next week, David is going to be encamped. And the children of Israel are gathered in the valley of Elah against the... What is the deal with the Philistines? So, uh, uh, Jonathan attacks a Philistine outpost. Well, why do you just attack... I mean... Why do they have an outpost in our country? It's a strange military uh, deal. The Philistine army, because they had iron, 
were far superior to anything that Israel had. Israel had and they had God on their side. Yeah. Uh, thinking of the terrain of Israel, why did the Israelites stay in the mountains? Well, they the, went down to the plains. They got in trouble. They had chariots. Right. They stayed in the mountains. Kind of like guerrilla warfare. Right. So every time they got tr in trouble and went down to the plains to confront the Philistines, they were in serious uh, trouble. Exactly. Basically, you put it in a like a modern thing, battle command, where you're out in the open, it's just going to like you out without any problem picking up with it. You have to be a lot easier to deal with them. It's, I, I just, it, it's, it's a strange thing that they lived the Philistines are their mortal enemies, and they get together like once a year and just have a big fight. It just seems to be the whole. I just summarized all the books before. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of your Lord your God that He gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom for all time over Israel. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and he will appoint him the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, Saul was practical. <laughs> Saul was a doer. Saul was a guy that got things done. He ran that company, ran it just like a company. Saul is me. I'm not so sure I would sit for seven days and pray waiting on Samuel. To, if I see the Philistines and they're ready to attack and they're gathered around me, I'm going to say, you guys go over there, okay, when I say three, we're all going to get the rest. All we got to do is do the sacrifice. Bring me the sheep. I'll sacrifice the sheep for a peace offering. I'll do it. But because he didn't wait on God and wait on God's instructions, even after what happened at Ebenezer, when they waited on God, God took care of it. Samuel's going to take care of it. I mean, Saul's going to take care of it. Israel's got the exact same problem today. Okay. The Philistines are based in Gaza. And the war between Gaza and Jerusalem continues. Okay. Well, we're going to do this now, but I'll do it. <laughs> he brought it up. <laughs> By the way, so this is Israel. Let's say this is the Mediterranean Sea. Um, this is Gaza. That's never been a part of Israel. Gaza is, well, today it's Palestinians and it's Hezbollah. That's who it is. To the north, you have Lebanon, you have Syria, you have Jordan, you have Egypt, you have Saudi Arabia. Israel is surrounded by 13 Muslim nations. In 1967. But let's keep reading the text. Keep that in mind. Let's keep reading in the text. <laughs> Couldn't help but see the parallel when I was reading this. But, okay. Then Samuel left Gilgal. Wait a minute, Samuel, don't go. We, we haven't fought this battle yet. Please pr keep praying so that God will be on our side. Uh-uh. I'm out of here. 
And he went up to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul counted the men were with him. And now there are 600. Remember, Saul had 2,000 and Jonathan had 1,000. Now there's 600. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men that were standing with him in Gibeah of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash, raiding parties went out from the Philistine camps in three detachments. And I don't know where any of those places are, but just suffice it to say that the Philistines are not content with just sitting in camp. They just went out and did raiding parties, and they would go wipe out a village, wipe out this village, wipe out that. And Saul is sitting. Look at verse 19. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all of Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening a plowshare and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and repointing goads. So on that day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So the only thing I can figure why the uh, why the Philistines and the and the Jews are intermingled, if you will, is that because the Philistines had iron, the Hebrews bought their sword, their plowshares and their turning hooks and their mattocks and all that from the Philistines took them back to them and had them sharpened. And it was, for the Philistines, it was a good deal because they, they got money. They had a whole group of people who are subservient to them because of technology. David is going to change on that. But at this point, that's the way it is. <clears throat> now a detachment of Philistines had gone, to, gone to, out to the pass of Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, was a young, and the young man bearing his armor said, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of, outskirts of Gibeah. Under, just read how the text is written. He's sitting under a pomegranate tree, sipping tea, having people hand, wait on him hand and foot, while the enemy is surrounding him, and Jonathan's off going, we've got we to win this war. We've got to do something. Who's more keenly, Saul or Jonathan? Who is taking up the cause, Saul or Jonathan? You see, Jonathan is the crown prince. He's going to one day have it all until Samuel just took it away. Which makes the relationship between Saul, uh, uh, Jonathan, and David even more, I don't understand. <clears throat> Do you think Saul was afraid to act so he did act? <clears throat> he didn't do the right thing. So. Well, He's kind of in a tough spot. He is in a tough spot that he created. He did not do what Samuel, who speaks for God, said. He sped up the time. I waited seven days. Should, should have waited that whole okay. And it would have been and I don't understand this, and I'll just throw this out. There's no way Jonathan is going to be the king 
kingly line forever. Why? It's even deeper than that. Why? Because Saul is a Benjamin. And the Messiah, Mashiach, comes from the line of Judah. So I don't know if they just didn't know their Old Testament, but he was never, he was never going to be in anyway. So I'm like, oh, huh. They didn't have a teacher like you. Yeah, I, I, it, had I been there, it would have said, and they thrust the sword through him for being a smart aleck. Um, you would have just waited for Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have done what Saul does. Saul says Samuel is an unreliable priest. I'm going to. You know, have you ever read that, heard that, that Tom Cruise interview where he talks about where they're filming Mission Impossible 15 or whatever it is? And he wants to go out and hang, hang off of a building in glass and all this kind of stuff. He goes, So I go and I meet with like the safety company. And the safety guy is going, boy, you can't do that. So I got another safety coordinator. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Saul does right here. He gets another priest. <clears throat> um, well, we've got to go through all this Jonathan stuff first. Let's do this. So, so in chapter 14, it, start, it gives you the plan. It gives you the leaders. It gives you the place. It tells you how it happened. Now, a detachment of the Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. One day, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, uh, said to the young man bearing his arm, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was standing on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, and there were 600 men with him. Among them was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod. Only priests wear the ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother. Remember when Eli died and the daughter-in-law had the baby and she named, she named it Ichabod because Ichabod means the glory has gone from Israel. This was Ichabod's brother, Ahutab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest of Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan left. And on each side of the pass, and that should not say pass, it should say Wadi. Wadi. Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was named Bozes, that should say slippery, and the other was named Sina, and that should say thorny. So picture it. There's a wadi, a giant, and all through the Middle East, there's these giant wadis, and it's it's where it's a water drainage deal. Like when you're at the Dead Sea and you look back up toward the mountains, you see these big, we would call them valleys. Gully. Okay. Um, a gully. It's, but they're bigger. They're, they're like a valley gully. Okay. They're big. So, like, yeah, like if it rains in Jerusalem, which is 14 miles from the Dead Sea, some of those water, and you can go on YouTube and look at this. Uh, rain and uh, uh, rain from Jerusalem to Wadi or something. It'll, it'll bring it up. It'll show you when it rains in Jerusalem three hours earlier. All of a sudden, this Wadi will become a torrential uh, stream, river, just flowing in it. I mean, just unbelievable because it's all downhill from there, three thousand feet downhill. 
So on the, either side of this wadi and the Philistine outpost is at the top of this. And there's these little trails, and one of them is slippery, and one of them is thorny. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Because for Jonathan, he doesn't need 60,000 chariots. He doesn't need 60,000 men. God is going to do what God is going to do. Now, I'm not sure if I'm Jonathan, I'm not sure God's going to do it. But I have enough faith, and I've seen enough in my life to know that sometimes God does incredible things with just a little bit. Maybe today God will use me. That's Jonathan's attitude. Remember, this whole thing is about having a heart for God. Saul is sitting at Gibeah under the pomegranate tree drinking tea, watching reruns. <laughs> Jonathan has a heart for God. He's trying to figure out how do we get out of this mess. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. There's a word you need to circle. Saving. Whether by many or by few. That word is Yasa. Three times it's used about Jonathan. It's not used about Saul. Three times Jonathan saved Israel by what he did. Do all that's in your mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you in heart and soul. I don't understand anything you're doing, but I'll follow you. It's not a problem. I know we only have one sword between us. Who gets that? Do you get that or I get that? <laughs> Come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait and wait here until we come to you, we'll stay here and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come to us and we will climb up, but that will be the sign that the Lord has given them into his hands, into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines, and the Philistine outpost said, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan his armor bearer, Come to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Well, I guess we're going up. Climb up after me, the Lord has given them into our hand. That takes a tremendous amount of faith. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet. How many of y'all have ever climbed anything using your hands? That is not a comfortable position. I, did, I don't know who's carrying the sword. Maybe the armor bearer. God, I don't know. Might be what? It might have been an armor too. It would probably make things even more. <laughs> Wearing armor. Yeah, I... I I don't think they had that. You know, the only time we see that is with David, where Saul has has the only thing of armor yeah. in all of Israel. So I'm thinking all they had is a sword. Yeah. I don't, so fair enough, it'd be hard either way. No, it'd be hard either way. You're right. The armor bearer was right behind him. Philistines fell before Jonathan. The armor bearer followed and killed behind him. So Jonathan would knock him out, and the armor bearer would kill him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in the area. Uh, this says half a yoke. It, it literally about a half an acre. About a half an acre land. Then panic. The word panic 
We're going to see it three times. Panic. Panic struck the whole army of the Philistines in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It doesn't say there was an earthquake, but it says the ground shook. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Did you? What did you think of uh, do you really want to? Yeah, I really, I really do. Like because I read some. I, read, I thought I was dreaming because my bed was shaking. Okay, but you weren't petrified. Uh, perplexed is probably. Okay. I've not been in like a major. I I read some instances where people were in earthquakes and literally they would be in the field and they would just see the field just doing this in front of them. They were totally panic struck. God did something here to these Philistines that caused them to believe they were going to die. He panicked them. <clears throat> um, Saul's lookouts at Gibeah of Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions, and Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. So they cast. So they're being attacked. They sit on every side. Now this army's man was like, well, "What's going on? I'm drinking tea," and and he says, "Let's uh, let's cast lots and let's take a roll call. Let's see who's here." And he came up. And jo uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer are not there, so they know who the guilty party is once again. <clears throat> and Saul said. To Ahijah, bring the ark of God. Let's call Samuel and wait seven more days. And let's just let's no bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. Thank you for that. While Saul was talk, the, talking to the priests, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. And Saul said to the priests, "Ah, never mind." We draw your hand. We're going to go get it. Does anybody remember the most famous radio in the, in the 67 war? In the 1967 war in Israel. Does anybody remember the famous radio line that was given at the, on the sixth day? In the 67 war, in a quiet Israel's trying to live in peace with their neighbors. Thirteen different Arab countries around. Five Arab countries simultaneously attacked Israel. Attacked. And Israel's IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, Ronnie, who is our, our guide in Israel, was called, everybody was called up and they went to their outpost. These are the places you're supposed to guard. And it took six days for Israel to rout every army that was invading, even from Gaza. Egypt was invading through Gaza. They were invading. Six days they routed them. And on the sixth day, the most famous radio signal came across. We have the Temple Mount.
just stop and think about that. In 67, Israel had the Temple Mount. It was theirs. They had gotten rid of everybody guarding them. They were all dead. Israel and the Temple Mount. Think about how Israel would be different today if they had the Temple Mount. What did Israel do? I'm sorry? They called the chief rabbi of Israel. And they said, we have the Temple Mount. And he said, without much deliberation, he said, God did not allow David to take it that way. He said, you're a man of war. You can't build my temple. We can't take it that way. So to this day, Jordan controls the temple now. I thought of that. That just that's exactly what's happening, right? Saul's saying, "I need to, I need to God's blessing to do this," and and, uh, and he basically realizes it's too late, and so he goes after. But okay, we got we got to get to the hiding place. Um, when Saul and his men assembled, they, they went to battle and they found the Philistines in total panic. Striking each other with their swords, the Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines had gone up to them and their camp went over to the Israelites. And See, there were people of Israel that defected and went to the Philistine camp and started fighting. And so in the middle of battle, they would switch sides now and look like Israel's family. Uh, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were on the run, they were joined in battle in hot pursuit. Now let's go get them. Hey. <laughs> so the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved beyond Beth Haven. And now the men of Israel were in distress that day. Niggas. What was the first niggas? They were in distress because of what? The Philistines. Now they are in distress because of what? Saul. Saul has placed on them, nobody can eat all day long until we wipe them out. Nobody. Anybody that eats, I'll kill them. And so the script, the, the text reads that they were distressed over, over the Philistines and now they're distressed because of Saul. That's why Saul is not the man that God wants as king. Um, you know that whole story about how much time do we have? We have a good time. 2.45. It's too much time. Uh, so that whole this whole story is, is incredible here. Let, let me just read this. Look at verse 47, because this is this is important. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Well, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zobites, the Philistines, this is Philistines all around. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly. He defeated the Amalekites. Those are descendants of Edom, of Esau. Red and hairy, my favorite bottle. No. Delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. He sounds successful right there, doesn't he? He doesn't have a heart 
of God. God's heart wants obedience. Next week, Jeff will turn us to David. Thank you. Thank you.